Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to American Pale Males, your nerdy beer tasting podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael, and with me is the other host. It's me, the waterlogged Jeremy. Michael, how in the world are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, Jeremy. No major complaints here. Oh, you're not flooding? Oh, not yet. Because I got to drive through standing water tonight. Oof. It came down fast. And I f- flash floods are terrifying. Yes. Yeah. August was a wake-up call as far as that goes for me, but so far so good for... It's scary yeah. when you're driving your car through that sort of stuff. You're like, I can't turn around right now. There's too many people behind me. Or going in the opposite direction, and you're like, I can't tell how deep that is. Yeah. I think I know how deep that is, but I don't know. So let it be known that we here at American Pale Males do not advise driving through standing water unless absolutely necessary or it's really, really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or put a snorkel on your car. Yeah. I mean, my brakes got squishy. Ooh, yeah. Like, they worked, but I was when it didn't stop as quickly as I had hoped, I made gosh darn sure to uh, start braking about a block early, <laughs> just in case. But, Michael, that's enough of the uh, weather cast that we do on the side. What is mm-hmm. What is your beer brag for this week? Well, I have kind of an event slash beer brag, then I have a beer brag that refers back to a familiar friend that has come up on the show for the past <laughs> like five episodes um the event that i went to was a book talk at a library Ooh. and there the author of the book state of craft beer which is all about breweries in wisconsin okay the author's name is matthew jensen he basically discussed this book and it is a photo book that goes all across the state looking at different breweries different farms and even into like paper makers who make the six packs so basically from like beginning to end the people that get the beer to you so it's a bit of a farm to table thing yes and it, it focuses on and a lot of his talk focused on how these breweries across the state especially in the smaller towns, are kind of revitalizing certain communities and boosting the economy in the state. You know, he talked about, like, a artist who makes tap handles and um, mm. the shop that makes neon signs in the state. Mm. And then he even got his book printed and bound within the state. He's nice. like, I could have done it in China for really cheap, but I wanted to be true to the uh, intent and the message in the book. So he kept everything in state. So it was very interesting and uh, very reaffirming about kind of some of the principles that we kind of buy into, you know, like, um, what do we used to call that segment? Environment ale? Yes, environment ale and... Loke ale? Social ale, I don't know, whatever, but... Um, Social Social, yeah. Come on, Michael, this writes itself. I don't know why you're making this hard. <laughs> um so yeah, basically kind of reaffirm those kind of notions we, we love about some of the beers we drink. It was a really beautiful book. And then after the little talk he gave, the Great Dane mm. local brew pub was on site to pour a few samples. Interesting. And they just poured some of their standard ones. They're, they had a double IPA, a wheat beer, and a scotch ale. You know, I was trying them, and, like, the lady was pouring and explaining it. She's like, this one's going to be a little hoppy. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that was nice. Um, But my beer brag itself is 
kind of the exact opposite of that book. <laughs> and it actually goes to the book we've always a different been talking book. about, uh, Barrel Age Stout and Selling Out by Josh Noel, all about Goose Island, because I had Goose Island's Oktoberfest. I had a feeling this was going to be your beer. Yeah. Brag. Is it, is it a brag? Can Go ahead. Yeah. It was just like, I guess it was the only Oktoberfest available um, at this store. So that's why we had it. <laughs> So, and it's, you know, it's like these beers go, it's not bad. The hops were okay. It wasn't like that cloyingly sweet Oktoberfest that we had. Oh, Soberfest or whatever. Yes. Yeah, that one. Which in itself wasn't bad, but it wasn't, it just wasn't like we said, it was more of an amber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. And this wasn't, I don't know. I'm looking forward to, I have a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. I'm looking forward to kind of comparing that to this, kind of the battle of the titans mm-hmm. independent quote-unquote titan versus ultimate corporate titan but i guess the thing is about this one it didn't have that pop that mm-hmm. we see in a lot of the german oktoberfest we've been having it's just kind of like crispness that i don't know, freshness maybe isn't the right word but that certain pizzazz and that certain mm-hmm. pop and then um in addition to this oktoberfest there was also some virtue cider that was passed around mm. um now if you remember Virtue Cider was the cider company mm-hmm. that Greg Hall, the brewmaster at Goose Island, started after the total purchase by AB InBev. And then and, he uh, uh, drove it into the ground, didn't he? <laughs> he kind of spent a lot of money, accumulated a lot of debt. So AB InBev wound up buying that company, basically buying out his debt. And so they, I think they own it more or less. Pretty sure it's just allowed to do whatever it wants to do because it's a cider company, but I found it ironic that I had two AB InBev type products in the same night. Mm -hmm. This was a Michigan Brute cider, and I just had a little sip of it. It was fine. It kind of had a weird natural funkiness to it, like not like, oh, something's wrong with this funkiness, but like, oh, that's a funky, tasting apple. And you mean like like a, a barnyard funk as opposed to a huggy bear funk or? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I had a little zip to it, a little funkiness to it. And uh, that was the first time I've ever had a Virtue Cider, too. So I was kind of um, glad to do that to kind of put another button um, as far as... Put another pin in the map. Yeah, pin in the map as far as that book goes. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's my uh, beer brags. Very diametrically opposed. Yeah. Speaking of local, Michael, my beer brag, uh, we went out and... Took second place yet again in Wine Styles Trivia the other night. Excellent. We got a, a nice bottle of wine from them as their prize, but while the my better half was at Trader Joe's getting whatever it was she was getting, I went to a local liquor store called Bootleg and Barzini's, and they had a peace tree beer that I'd never had before. Ooh, okay. Uh, I've seen this, but I've never gotten it. It's not the sweet corn beer, but I don't think they make that anymore. Ooh. It was, I don't think you've ever talked about that. That was weird. <laughs> I don't know about that beer. I'll see if I can find some more information on it. And I'm, it's entirely possible I've been hallucinating it for like six <laughs> years. Uh, I had Royale 41, a double India Pale Ale. Okay. Here's the color text on the website. India Pale Ales are distinguished by an eminent hop flavor, bitterness, and aroma. Royale 41 is no exception to the rule. This Imperial IPA acquires its stately title from the 41st Parallel, the latitudinal mark that runs through our brewery in the northern hemisphere and the hop-growing region of New Zealand in the southern hemisphere. Mm. Loaded with American and New England hops and fermented with an American yeast, this is a union fit for nobility. Comes in at 9%, 100-plus IBU. Available February to March. Maybe that's why it was on sale. 
Okay. <laughs> that explains a lot. It's it's good. This actually kind of makes a whole lot more sense because it, it did <laughs> feel a little uh, just like malt and dead hops, but I guess that's fitting given that it's October. But it was, it's still pretty good. It's incredibly hoppy, as one might expect. And it's always good to find stuff from a brewery that you'd like that you haven't had before. Yeah. And I can't find in, any uh, mention of the sweet corn beer on their website. So I'm going to have to keep doing some digging. Yeah. Michael, it's October spookiness. It's, it's around. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time this comes out, I suspect it will be whatever date this comes out on, the Monday, Tuesday, whenever, after I get back from film screen. Michael, it's that time of year again. Ooh, yeah. The horror movie marathon. Down here at uh, Film Scene in Iowa City. It's a great time. I went last year. I read a lot of movie blogs to find out what the good stuff coming out is because anyone can look at the trailer for Venom and be like, mm-hmm, maybe Redbox? But, you know, then you see the things like Brawl in Cell Block 99 uh-huh. with a skinhead Vince Vaughn stomping people, and it's right up my alley. But if you don't do the the digging or the reading or, like, finding out who the directors are, you kind of, you're at the mercy of the movie. And nine times out of ten, they're garbage. But because the the horror festival is coming up, I've been, I'm in the mood. I've watched four or five horror movies already and it's only four or five days into the month is this kind of like a like your training montage you know, kind of back? yeah actually <laughs> you joke but uh <laughs> this is a, a combo of a movie discussion slash podcast pitch for you okay um have you ever seen the movie halloween the original you know what i don't think i've seen it in full okay but i've been exposed to it so much and probably have seen you know, I have a good knowledge of it, I guess, but I admittedly, I've not watched it. So that's totally fine for this <laughs> this discussion. Okay. There is a new podcast featuring one of the hosts of Unspooled, the good movie version of How Did This Get Made? Oh, uh, right, yes. Amy Nicholson, who is a writer for uh, Vulture, Slate, a whole bunch of different online entities, and she's doing an eight-part podcast series with, sigh, The Ringer home of Bill Simmons, who I detest, but oh, okay. it's, it's an eight-part podcast series you about... You detest Bill Simmons? He drives me insane. Really? Yes. I thought his kind of progressive approach to sports would be kind of up your alley. No. He, he's far too big of a fan of himself. Okay. I don't know that much about him, so I'll take uh, your word he, for he it. He drives me... I This, this whole, like, I'm a, the neo-dad <laughs> way of putting it, because it's not like... I mean, our fathers, the collective our fathers of the 80s when we were children where, the, you know, it it just seems like it's everything wrong with the suburbs all rolled into one with a terrible mustache every now and then okay. and, and ends every sentence with, I know John Hamm okay. or, or, you know, something of that nature. Okay. Regardless, okay. I'm getting off topic and it's angry and up the blood. Okay. Um, Go on. So Halloween comes out in 1978. We're on the 40th anniversary of it this year. And because there is that, as well as a new one, which is a direct sequel to the original, foregoing yes. uh, nine other movies. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it's a fascinating listen because it talks about, you know, this movie was made on, even in 1978, it was made on a low amount of money. 
and no one expected it to do anything. And the series is all about, you know, how it got made, why it got made, why they think it, you know, resonates with so many people, why it worked so well then, how horrible the sequels were, I'm assuming. And the reason why it works is because Miss Nicholson was able to get a hold of everyone that was involved that's still alive. Oh. So she's got extensive interviews with John Carpenter, Jamie Lee Curtis, everyone, just everyone involved. And so if you are fascinated about movie history like I am, mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. It's There's two parts out as of this recording. I don't know when the rest will come out, but this also reminds me that the fiancé and I, out of all of the horror movie uh, franchises that I have, and you've, you've seen The Shelf, I've, yes. uh, there, there's Nightmare on Elm Street, there's Friday the 13th, there's parts one through... Th- I have 60% of the Phantasm franchise, uh, Reanimator, I mean, the list goes on. Oh, yeah. For some reason, the one franchise I've been able to get her to sit down and watch with me is the Halloween franchise. Uh-huh. Because when we first started watching them, she had not seen any of them. But we'd, we'd gotten through the original eight of them, and they get... There's high points, there's a lot of low points, but you might remember that Rob Zombie did one. Yes. Or he did two. Yes. I have not seen the Rob Zombie Halloween since it came out in 2007, but Mm -hmm. I I watched it last night, Michael. Okay. Now, I'm going to say you thought it was a low point before, but now you think it has some merit. That's my guess for your analysis. Kind of. Okay. I mostly want to use this as a jumping off point to get your opinions on what people need to do when they're adapting something. When you watch the Rob Zombie Halloween, the first one, I also haven't seen the second one since 2009, but uh-huh. it's on it's on the shelf and I'll, I'm sure I'll see it soon enough. Okay. So I, when I first saw this one, I was just like, this is BS. This is not what Halloween is supposed to be like. You know, you're not supposed to, you know, say why Michael Myers kills everybody. Mm-hmm. It's scary because you don't know. Right, yeah. Which is say. just that creeping dread of the suburbs in 1978. Everything looks the same, but you're not safe. Sometimes, you know, babysitters get waxed for no good reason. Okay. Yeah. The zombie version tends to go a little bit too deep into, you know, the psychology of it. But watching it last night, I was... It's still not a, a very good movie. Okay. And it's an unpleasant, sour movie. But I remember watching an interview with Rob Zombie at some point. And he says, you know, it's it's all well and good when... If people like the older horror stuff. He's like, I like the old horror stuff. I like the stuff from the 50s and 60s. But we have to remember, at the time, it was horrifying. Well, he's like, I want to make horror movies for now. and need them to be horrifying. And so... Th- there's extremely upsetting things in his movie. Right. And if you watch that remake, reboot, remodel, whatever, and view it just as its own thing, it's actually not bad. Okay. Like, don't put it through the lens of the old one, yeah, necessarily. Because he changes a lot of what we've already discussed. And he changes, mm-hmm. you know, certain parts of it. He tries to cram the entire original into the last 40 minutes of the movie. There's a lot of reasons why it doesn't work. But I want to get your opinion on on adaptations in general. Okay. I mean, heck, right now, there's a... The fourth 
iteration of A Star is Born is out in theaters as we speak. Oh, yeah. I saw that. The first one came out in the 30s, second one in the 50s, and then 76, and now here we are 40-whatever years later, and there's another one, and apparently it's pretty good. That's also what I heard, too. So what do you think about these uh, remakes, reboots, whatevers? In adaptation. Yeah. Well, first of all, adaptation, good movie. Very good movie. I, I like that movie a lot. I like that movie a lot, too. Um, yeah, I guess sometimes you find out, you know, you watch a movie, and I'm trying to, I'm stumbling because I'm trying to think of an example that you found out was an adaptation, like, after the fact. And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know. Do you mean an adaptation of, like, just any pre-existing source material or, like, book, an existing I guess, movie? I guess specifically movies. Okay, let me do some uh, digging here. Like, yeah, remakes. The Thing from 1980, also yes. by John Carpenter. Yes, although that was, the original was a lot better. The original was in the 30s. Okay, okay, there you go. See, yeah, I didn't there's know. There's two of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, yeah, like, when you have that, like, especially, and I think time has to factor in, like, mm-hmm. that, like you said, 40, 50 years down the line, you remake it, good. But when you have, like, the touchstone of the original still fresh in your mind, mm-hmm. quote-unquote fresh, like, sure. 15 years ago seems fresh to us, um, then it kind of, uh, there's a certain luster that it loses. I think you gotta wait. And I, I think it also depends on, like, the franchise, too. Like, the mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, the originals are pretty timeless and pretty relevant. I liked the new one. Uh, but the new one, I don't know. Did you see it? I, yes. Okay. I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I think it came off as very, they were trying to defend this franchise mm-hmm. and turn it into a like a dynasty there was like whatever it was team ghost or whatever was a whole production sure. team behind it and i think there was too many cooks in the pot and it kind of <laughs> bubbled over onto uh, the screen okay so do you think that that movie in particular would have been better if they didn't have to shoehorn in all their references to the original like yeah, I think uh, Dan Aykroyd is the cab driver uh yeah Ernie Hudson Well that that was weird too so it was like it was in the same universe, mm-hmm. and then it. And then well, they weren't the it, same characters, though. You're right, and then now it's not because you mm-hmm. have Dan Aykroyd playing a totally different guy. Yeah, like Bill. Mur- I mean, they're all in there except for Harold Ramis. Yes, rest his soul. Mm-hmm. So that was confusing too. I think you either have to go all in, like this is a direct continuation, and you know make those references, or mm-hmm. you have to be maybe a little short, little nods. Otherwise, besides that, you have to do your own thing. You can't kind of straddle the line. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense, kind of like Ghostbusters. Okay. Here's a spin. Because those cameos were beyond just subtle nods. Yeah, they were, that really derailed things. Right. Like, if you can repeat a line that was said in the first one or something at a key moment, that's a nice little subtle nod. I was even but... okay with the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Yeah. Okay. Here's a spin on it, then. What if the source material is not an American movie? So I'm I'm thinking of all those Japanese horror rem- uh, remakes. Oh yeah, like The Grudge, The Ring. I guess technically you could consider oh the Fortnite movie. Uh, I, f- I feel horrible. Oh, uh, Hunger Games. You could technically oh, the, the Battle Royale. Yes. I don't know if it was called Battle Royale. No, it was. It was. I, I remember that one. Okay. I could remember the Hunger Games. That's the name of the game style too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, I think, again, it has to do with how much is in the zeitgeist and how much is in your mind. Mm-hmm. I think the less you know about the source material, the more you can view the new one. Almost like you said for Halloween, like you try to view it without the lens of the old Halloween movie and it, it kind of came off a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you have like an impression or uh, viewing it through the lens of something else, especially if you really liked that thing, if you don't mm-hmm. know that much about it, that's good. But then you're going to apply biases and it kind of taints the experience a little bit, potentially. So, draw it back to your last visit here. We watched Phantasm. That is a movie that is part and parcel just, it's the 70s. Like, there's, <laughs> like, so much of it. It's just the, I mean, everything about it screams the 70s. And that's part of the fun of it, is looking back and, you know, you, oh, yeah. see, you see this dude lugging balsa wood uh, coffins around, and kids just tearing around on dirt bikes and graveyards. Things that just wouldn't necessarily fly, and if you tried to place that in a modern setting, it wouldn't make any sense, and it would draw you out. Right. Whereas a guy, dri- or someone, driving to the middle of the woods and staying in a cabin is, whatever, that's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But another reason why I bring this up is to tie it all together before we get into the FDR, Michael. Mm-hmm. There is an annual cultural event, I guess you could call it, in downtown Iowa City called the Witching Hour. And they do a lot of talks from, like, artists or media personalities. They have comedians. They have a couple bands play. It's sort of like a weekend version of Mission Creek, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. The fiancé is going to it this year. And Film Scene announced that at 3 p.m., the day after Film Scream, they are having the writer of the remake of Suspiria, which is a 1977 Italian film, horror movie. Okay. I just watched the other night before I saw this, I'd like to point out, for the first time in ages, and it's it's a fairly cheesy Italian slasher movie, but it's it's pretty freaky. And they're having the the writer of the remake talk, so given that there are two unannounced screenings, secret screenings, I don't think it's out of line to suspect that, you know, the new Suspiria is probably going to be the first one with the writer in the room. Oh, for the marathon. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I will have a unique insight into the remake. I'm excited to see what it's like from a professional's point of view. So, hopefully I'm not setting myself up for failure. By the time this comes out, we'll know. And if I need to have you cut this out, I'll just have you cut it out. Okay, yeah, we'll have, we'll have <laughs> hopefully an answer of sorts. So. Yeah, yeah. But thank you for suffering my silliness with horror movies yet again, Michael. Mm-hmm. But it's it's October. Still October. Which means it's some sort of fest. Michael, how about we get to the FDR? Yes, where we find a beer, drink a beer, and rate a beer. Jeremy, what beer... I'm kind of excited for this one. Do we have today? You're going to make me say it, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to say it. <laughs> uh, we have the last minute. Weihenstefaner Festbier, B-I-E-R, from Weihenstefan in Germany. Yeah. So we've had, ages ago on the show, we had the uh, Hefe, the classic. And this uh, this is the first appearance of Weihenstefaner since then, I believe. Really? Except for Brow Pact. <laughs> I was just wondering about that. I just, I just thought of that and slid in there to save it. They have a lot of beers. Good God. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, they have, what, like, I'm looking at their website. Me too. One, two, three, three, three. There's a lot. Dunkel. Alcohol free. <laughs> <laughs> Brow Pact. Wheat beer. Dark wheat. Light wheat. Non-alcoholic wheat. Crystal wheat. Vitus. Hellas. Non-alcoholic original. Hellas. Pills. 
bearish Dunkel Corbinian 1516 Keller beer. When you brew since 1040, you're probably going to have a few beers. Frankly, I'm surprised there's not more of them. <laughs> right. Um, so just quick history. I don't know if we've ever... We might have talked about this with Brow Pact. I can't remember. You know what? Who cares? <laughs> um, but so it's a state-owned brewery, and that was more of a recent development, as in like... Oh, yeah. The 19th. Hundreds-ish, <laughs> eight, late 1800s. 200 um, years ago. But yeah, it started out at the monastery of some Benedictine monks way back in 1040. You know, you go through the history page, obviously lots of things have happened since then. You know, at one point it burned down. I believe they mentioned That's the flag horrible. at some point in this timeline. Um, they talk about the Reinheitsgebot, the, the Purity Act influencing the brewery. Yeah, it was 1803 was when it became a uh, state brewery. So, you know, about a fifth of its lifetime. Uh, God. That's um, just horrifying. Yeah. It's an old brewery with, I believe, the, quote-unquote, the oldest continuously running brewery in the world. This is a fascinating timeline. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Bavarian tenacity. Maybe don't mention that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah these uh the timeline's always like 1921 and then like it skips to like cleaning up from world war Two. yeah <laughs> um well this one just doesn't even have that it goes 1921 to today between 1085 and 1463 the fine stefan monastery burned down completely four times was destroyed <laughs> or depopulated by three plagues various famines and a great earthquake i mean jeez living back then must have just been the worst yeah I mean, I guess that's 400 years, but I mean, that's a lot of disasters. I don't even want to live like 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean, various famines. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I know famine still happens now, but... Uh, it's, it's it's not as widespread, I'd like to think. I hope so, I, yeah. am, I imagine famines probably aren't going to hop in in Germany anytime soon. Especially when the uh, population of your country... Back then was probably like in the hundreds of thousands or something. You yeah, know? true. <laughs> the American Civil War was still 800 years in the future. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just mind-boggling. So, yeah, it's always fun to get a beer from a brewery like this. They will um, be bre- in 22 years, Michael. They will have been brewing for a millennium. That's incredible. Right? I just yeah. realized that. Maybe uh, we should go there in 2040 <laughs> for the festivities. How old am I going to be in 2020? Oh, yeah, that's possible. Is it reasonable? <laughs> I mean, I'll be 56 in 22 years, but I think it's fine. I was just, I mean, it's its one of those things where the number is so far in the future, it seems a little surreal. But Yeah, it's, but then when it's here, you'll be like, oh, wow. Like, oh, God, I've wasted my life. That's what I thought about the year 2000. I'm like, I'll be 15. Wow, that's so yeah. <laughs> Here we are. We, I mean... The past year has felt like a lifetime. Yes. But in, in enough jabbering. Do you have yes. more about the beer, Michael? Yes, the Fest beer uh, from their website. A full, rich-bodied, hoppy, seasonal lager, especially brewed for the Fest beer season. This beer truly represents the Bavarian way of celebrating. Deep gold <laughs> color, great mouthfeel, and lots of flavor. Prost. You know what? I'm glad that they're not uh, putting writing a lot of checks that they can't cash like that one we had last week. Yeah, that was a bit too much. 
hints of farm baked bread. <laughs> if you don't what? taste the hearth, you're drinking it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, five point eight percent ABV and twenty six IBU. The bottle. You got some Bavarian flag design on there. You got the what looks like to be the seal of Bavaria on um, the front of the bottle. A crest. Yours is different. You have a five hundred. So I, I do. I have the Bayern Munich on there. The Fest beers tend to be golden colored and hoppier than a uh, than a Marzen. Straight Oktoberfest yeah. Marzen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think. Don't quote me on that. I like the bottle cap here. It has the uh, the seal there. Mm-hmm. Should we open it up and give it a go? Sure. We're only 502 years removed from the uh, <laughs> the Bavarian purity laws of 1516. Right. Not to, I mean, I know these are supposed to be evergreen shows, but <laughs> sometimes you have to date yourself. <laughs> that really is golden. Yeah, it is. That's a really golden color. I'm using the largest glass I have. <laughs> it's a flower vase. It's actually my uh, wheat beer glass. Oh, okay. The big hammer. That is... That's what I'm using, too. That is a insanely clear beer. It is. It's making me a little nervous on how kind of yellow beer this is looking. It smells amazing. Oh, yeah. Very noble hoppy. It's, it's got... It's so far so good. It's got that German pop, that pop that's in, yeah. in the smell. And the aroma. I was just going to say that, too, that um, malty pop. I'm going to go in. Keep talking. Go ahead. It looks pretty effervescent. I got a nice stream of bubbles. Pretty thick head on mine. Me too. Um, and oh boy, that's good. Yeah, it looks like a. Uh, Worry not, Michael. A beer from uh, I can't remember what you said. You said this one time, like a a prop beer on a TV show. Like, yep. Yeah. Okay. It there looks like go. a Duff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or Fud, if we're unlucky. But this is this is good. It mm. it's it feels more effervescent than an Oktoberfest. Um. Yeah, and this is kind of getting into it's a little pilsnery, I think. A little bit, yeah. I feel that this is hoppier than an Oktoberfest would be. I, I think I, so too, yeah. I think those Oktoberfests are more malty and they just have the not the bare minimum of hops, relatively low amount of hops, right. especially for our modern tastes. Mhm. This is this is hitting the spot, Michael. I'm glad we cho- we audibled and went with this one. Yeah, no, I'm glad we were able to do this too. Um the the happiness is pretty I'm surprised at how strong it is. It's not uh, not complaining about that, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's a degree removed from the traditional Oktoberfest, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, once again, I I know that the nomenclature shouldn't mean anything because a beer is either good or it isn't. Mm-hmm. But right. But as we saw with the uh, that Oso, it matters. It does, yeah. I mean, it's what would okay, what would you do if you had like uh Oh, Breckenridge Brewery makes an agave wheat beer. Mm-hmm. So you let's say it's you know Brewery X. So we don't have any InBev biases. biases yeah. or it's just new brewery moves in the in downtown. It's uh, Mike's Big Fat Beer. We'll call okay. it. Okay. <laughs> okay. And they're like, we have an agave wheat on there, and you pour it out, and it looks like agave wheat, but it's like chili IPA. Okay, but it's it's the best chili IPA you've uh, that has ever been made. It's just labeled as an agave wheat. Does that lower your impression of it? I think the answer is yes. I think so too. I think because there's some confusion there. Mm-hmm. But if you really like it, you know, I think you could still go back to it. But it 
just might kind of throw you for a loop a little bit and that could alter your perceptions about it, at least initially. Are there any beers that you can think of now that we're fully sidetracked? Oh, gosh. Okay. Are there any beers that you can think of that you're like, that's a really good beer, but it is not a, you know, fill in the blank? Oh, man. I probably can't think of anything on the spot. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything? No. <laughs> no. I'm sure it's probably happened at some point. And and I don't mean like a, well, it's really more of a milk stout. Is a, you, Right, yeah. Hey, listener, if you can think of anything, write in and tell me, because we're having a horrible time figuring it out. <laughs> oh. Yeah. God, that, uh, this is the opposite. This is the opposite realm. It's a terrible beer. Oh, okay. That peanut butter hefe. Oh, <laughs> The controversial. That thing was disgusting, but it was not a Hefe. Who did that again? Maybe it doesn't matter. Empyrean? Okay. Out in Nebraska? Not a, not Elysian. I think it's Empyrean. Anyway, Michael, how does this beer rank in comparison to some of the other Oktoberfests or Fest beers or Marzins you have had this season? Mm-hmm. Um, I almost think it's kind of unfair to compare them because I, I, to me, this almost registers more as a pilsner Fair. than any of those. Again, going back to the mislabeling, quote unquote, mislabeling discussion. Um, because mm-hmm. I think I probably like the German Oktoberfest taste more than I do a pilsner. Hmm. Like the true Oktoberfest, like the Einger that we had, yep. like the Hofbrau, mm-hmm. Warsteiner. Yeah, things of those nature. I like that they're Oktoberfest beers, whereas this is mm-hmm. ringing more, like you said, like they said on the website and here, that it's, it's hoppier. And to me, that registers more as a, a pilsner because it's those noble hop flavors and notes that are coming through. It's also not labeled as an Oktoberfest, though. Right, and it's, it's strictly speaking, it's not an Oktoberfest. It's a fest beer. So um, because of that, I, I would say I like them better, the Oktoberfest better, but judging this beer on its own merits, mm-hmm. it's still very good. It's very much so. Nice bitterness throughout, very easy to drink, mm-hmm. uh, nice body, nice effervescence. I feel like I could crush this all day long. Yeah, it's just a nice package overall. It's just a little different. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you would laud or that you'd want to change about it, Jeremy? Uh, no, I, don't, I am really enjoying So this ha- this hits all the notes for me. Mm-hmm. It's It's got that German feel to it, like whether or not we feel it's you know like a Marzen better or worse than a Marzen, I think we can both agree that it has that German pop to it mm-hmm. that we yes. both that we both dig. Yes. It's that specific malt flavor that comes from this time of year out of those German beers. Like I can't even think of save for like a, a Hefe. Mm-hmm. I think pretty much all the the OG unpronounceable German breweries will have something if they're if they're worth their salt they'll have this flavor in everything they do mm-hmm. unless it's overwhelmed by like the yeast um yeah e- even that paul honor salvatore that i had last week or talked about last week had that german pop to it despite being significantly sweeter and noticeably heavier too yeah i don't think i would change anything about this i really like this beer yeah it's very solid Shall we rate it then? Let's do. Speaking of labeling, before we get into this, okay, uh, to pull back the uh, the curtain a little bit, I kind of ran out after work 
in a panic to see if I could find some beers that Michael had in an effort to pad our trade. Yes. One of those that I found was called Jeremy and the Giant Peach. <laughs> Are you serious? I, I, I will take a picture of it and send it to you. It's from Single Speed Brewing in Waterloo, Iowa, who makes a really good beer, uh, including the Dan Gable named Hellas called Gable. And they also make a really good cocoa stout called Tip the Cow. I will have that, and I will see if it tastes like me and the giant peach. Okay, you and... (laughs) Me and the giant peach. But, uh, rating. Go for it. Oh, me? Okay, here we go. Um, let me take a sip of judgment here. Also to note, it's been continuously, like, good as we keep drinking it. It hasn't gotten old. It's still fizzing, too. Yeah. Mine is still effervescing? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's that's the word right. Is that the right word? I think that's cromulent. Sweet. Let's go with it. I'm going to clock this in at a four. Excellent. Yeah, I think I'm just going to leave it there. What would you change about it? Mm, I wouldn't change anything about it. I think it's just the... If anything is taking away points, it's just where I would generally land in that style, that Pilsner style. Okay. Uh, I can appreciate a good Pilsner. It's not my favorite go-to. And there's certain situations where they're just incredible to have. But there's just other styles, even within the German collective, that I probably would like more. Mm -hmm. But it's a very excellent beer. And so that's why I'm not just giving it like a solid 3.5 or the average 3. It's it's a 4. It's it's still excellent. So So Cousin of the Show out there in Chicago has said that uh, he's in uh, Beer Central. Like, Metropolitan is a quick bike right away, which is a newer one. Revolution is around the corner. Half Acre is, a, you know, within reach off-color. It's it's pretty much a mecca. Pipeworks is around there somewhere. So he is kind of at the ground floor when it comes to trends in beer. So, you know, whereas we here in Backwater, Iowa, may just be getting around to the Brute IPAs or things of that nature. He has been saying for a few months now that Loggers and Pilsners are the new IPAs, as in everyone and their dog has a lager. Yeah, it's kind of been creeping in as the new... And I'm okay with that. I really like Pilsners. I don't know what I would consider a personal go-to Pilsner, because there's, right. a, there's a few of them that I, I really like Sierra Nevada's Nooner Pilsner. At least oh, I, th- yeah. I think it's called Nooner. Uh-huh. And... There's a couple other semi-local ones that I'm not quite recalling right now that I really enjoy. But I kind of feel that anything in the Pilsner field should probably have to measure up to this. Right. This is a nice standard candle to compare your Pilsner to. And so, you know, your mileage may vary depending on where you fall on the Pilsner scale. Are you more of a Michael or more of a Jeremy? Take our quiz. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I I really love a good Pilsner, especially if it's fresh or has the illusion of being fresh. This has the illusion of being fresh, although I suspect it's yeah probably not. Right. I'm well. It's probably not too old. I mean, I mean not I'm, too old, but I mean. But it's not like yeah, freshly kegged or yeah or something it, like that. Yeah. Like I said last week past two weeks, I think, or maybe even three, I don't even know anymore. There is nothing quite like an Oktoberfest or Pilsner on tap that is fresh. Oh, yeah. So good. Given the constraints, you know, of me panic finding this like two hours ago or, <laughs> right. or whenever it was, and the fact that, you know, it's 
they've been around through about seven or eight generations of technology. This is about how this is about as good as it gets as far as this style of beer goes. Even though I would not have been able to define fest beer for you, you know, when we started. Right. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. You're right. It is pretty close to a Pilsner. And I'm stalling because I'm trying to decide between a couple of uh, ratings. And I want to go in for a sip of judgment. Fill, right. t- fill time. Fest means festival. And beer means beer. Thank you, That's Michael. how we got fest beer. The more it... I mean, maybe this is just a byproduct of me having a larger amount than you. But as it warms up, there's a layer of sweetness that's coming through. That is mm. that is not unpleasant. It actually works really, really well against those noble hops. And for that reason, I'm going to give it a 4.5. I really, nice, really nice. like this beer. Good. Get anything with a long, unpronounceable German name on it or <laughs> with something that looks like a soccer flag at your local brew house, H-A-U-S, if you please. Uh-huh. And enjoy. It's store dark and keep cool. Uh, sorry, never mind. I got distracted by the bottle. <laughs> yeah, I saw that on there too. But yeah, just go get one of these while you still can. They're probably going to be getting out of their best buy dates somewhat right. soon. Yeah. And you know, Oktoberfest is beer Christmas, kind of. It is a little bit. Or maybe beer, maybe like barrel aged stout release days are. I don't know. Yeah. This is more of a Thanksgiving. It's like the solid holiday that nobody respects until you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that analogy. A four point five. So there, Michael, hit there me with the social media plugs. Yeah. Get in touch with us. What Oktoberfest have you been having? Yeah. You can do that on Twitter or Facebook at APM Pod there. Email us directly, apmpod at gmail.com. Or check us out on Untapped, where host Emeritus Mike keeps up with all of our ratings there. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. We'll wrap it up there. So for Jeremy, I've been Michael. For Michael, I have been Jeremy. And this has been American Pale Males. Cheers. Cheers! Cheers!